Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. Christmas, guys. So exciting to be with you here today. And if you're watching either at home or in person, it's your first time in church. Uh, maybe it's been a while. We just want to say welcome. We're so excited that you're here with us today. And it doesn't matter if you're a believer, an unbeliever, a Jew, Gentile, or Jedi Knight, you are welcome here at City Lions Church. And uh, especially right now as we're celebrating Christmas this year, you know, I had my family come up and we were, had the privilege of lighting the Christ candle. Here's a picture of my family. Um, just so you guys know, my name is Nathan. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And we actually moved here back in August. So we're kind of new to the Williamsport area. And this is my wife, Jackie, my daughter, Selah, my son, Wesley. And um, we really love kind of coming to Williamsport. We moved here from New Jersey. You know, when we tell people, like we were telling our family and friends, that we're leaving New Jersey and moving to north central Pennsylvania. They all said, good for you. Get out of the state, like, as fast as you can. And it's funny, when we tell people, hey, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're from New Jersey. I, I've had a couple of people say to me, you know, they'll, they'll kind of look at me funny. And I'm like, is something wrong? No, I'm just curious. Do you, do you know anyone in the mob? And I'm a little, I'm like, what? Uh, and I'm, you know, and I get it, right? New Jersey's kind of known for a couple things. It's known for the boss, you know, Bruce Springsteen. It's known for John Bon Jovi. And of course, it's known for Tony Soprano and the Sopranos. Any Sopranos fans out there online, you can go ahead and type. Church is a safe place. You can admit that. It's okay. Um, but listen, you know, well, you know, every now and then something comes on the news about, like, about the mob or something like that. You know, a couple, a couple years ago around Christmas time, uh, there's a story about this Don who got captured, and, and, you know, his family was kind of a wreck. They were, like, just really, like, you know, um, distraught. And so the mom was trying to comfort the son. She said, why don't you write Jesus a letter and tell him what you want for Christmas? which is kind of interesting, right? And so, you know, he starts writing this letter, and, he's, and you know, he doesn't know what to write, but he starts writing, and he says, Dear Jesus, uh, I've been really good this year. Then he actually starts to think about how he behaved this year. And he's like, oh, that's not going to work. So he crumples up the paper, throws it out, gets another piece of paper, and he writes, uh, Dear Jesus, uh, I was um, mostly good this year. He stops again, and he goes... Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to cut. He crumples that up, throws that out as well. And so finally, you know, he's just kind of deflated sitting at his desk. Then he has this idea. So he, he goes into his parents' room, in his mom's room, and they've got a nativity scene like this, and he takes the statue of Mary, puts it in his closet, locks the door, goes back to his desk, and he starts writing. He goes, Jesus, if I, I have your mother, here's my list of demands. <laughs> it's like, like father, like son, right? But, you know, I like to have some fun. You know, Jersey humor right there. There you, there, there you go for it. But, uh, you know, we are here to celebrate the birth of Christ. And this is really a, a time where we celebrate a really unexpected moment in the history uh, of the world, really. Just how Jesus kind of broke into our reality. And whenever I read, you know, the story about the birth of Christ, I like to go to the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is one of Jesus' biographers. He's a doctor. He's a historian. So he keeps a very orderly account. He kind of starts at the beginning and kind of goes through all of the details and really kind of tells the story about how Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, were looking for a place to stay. And maybe you guys know the story. They, they, they were in a town called Bethlehem, and there was no room in the inn. In fact, here's how Luke describes it. He says this, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So they're in Bethlehem, and now 
Mary's expecting, baby's coming, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And maybe you guys know this story, right? You know, they find a, a, an inn, but there's no room, so they go to this stable. And so this is kind of what the picture looks like. Maybe you've seen pictures like this up here about what it looks like, right? You know, the animals are all quiet. It's this peaceful, serene scene, and, and it looks really nice. Uh, but the thing is, most scholars think that this was all kind of fabricated, kind of made up. In fact, if you want a more accurate picture of what the first Christmas looked like, there, there was no stable. In fact, it probably looked more like this. Jesus was probably born in a cave. Because a stable, they didn't really have stables. Animals were kept in caves. Jesus was put in a manger, which is really a feeding trough. So where all the animals were kind of pulling out all the hay and stuff, that's where Jesus was laid. In fact, if you go to Bethlehem today, there's a place called the Church of the Nativity. Here's a picture of it right here. The Church of the Nativity, it's a Catholic church, and it was built there because there's a legend that many scholars think is actually, this could actually be the actual place where Jesus was born. In fact, if you go into the Church of the Nativity, you see this scene. This is where they think Jesus was born. And, you know, it's kind of blinged out here, right? But you can actually kind of see the indentation of a cave. You can kind of see, okay, I can kind of see this is a cave. If you take this cloth off, there's probably some stone and stuff here. Maybe Jesus could have been born in that spot. You know, we don't really know, but it's a pretty good approximation what many people think. Now, Luke, he's a historian, right? But he's also an incredibly gifted, skilled writer. And so he's writing this account of the birth of Jesus and, and, the, and the life of Jesus— he knows that when you're, when you're reading this, you're thinking, okay, Jesus was probably born in a cave. This is kind of where he looked like. But he's also foreshadowing where the story is going to go. That's what a good writer does. They give you hints about where the story is going to go. And when we read later into Luke, because we, we learn that Jesus is eventually crucified, he's killed because he's got these teachings that are just challenging the authority of the religious leaders. They're challenging the authority, the power of the Roman Empire. And eventually he's put to death for our redemption, for the forgiveness of our sins. We'll talk about that in a minute. But after all this, after Jesus died on the cross, here's what Luke writes. Luke writes these words. They wrapped it, meaning his body, in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid in. So again, if you go to Israel today, there's a spot where they think is where Jesus' body was laid. They're not really sure, but it's this place called the Garden Tomb. You can go visit there today. And in fact, one of the things you notice is it's basically this hole in a rock. Essentially, it's a cave. So the life of Jesus is lived between two caves. He was born in a cave, and he eventually, was, after he died, was laid into a cave. Now, often when Scripture has these images, it kind of it tells us, hey, we need to pay attention to this. Because caves really have a significant kind of um, role to play in, in kind of who we are as people in society. In fact, many people say that caves were the places where, you know, our, our ancestors were, were living in. You know, we're you know, living in caves at one point. But caves also can represent something. They can represent kind of like the sense of darkness, the sense of foreboding. In fact, for many, the idea of being trapped in a cave, it's like a, it's like a living nightmare. This idea of being in a place where it's completely dark, you have no sense of direction, no sense of orientation at all. Trapped, no escape, no light whatsoever. In fact, this idea of caves being this place that's dark, foreboding, just the symbol of death, is really why so many bodies were actually buried or entombed in caves in the 
ancient world. In fact, that's probably where we get the sense of feeling, in, you know, in, entombed in a sense. Maybe you're not afraid of caves. Maybe you're like, oh, I love spunking. I do that on the weekends, right? But don't we have this kind of sense of fear, maybe a claustrophobia around dark, small spaces? The idea of being trapped, that we can't ever get out. And maybe some of those fears were triggered a couple years ago when you saw the news report of the Thai soccer team that got stuck in the caves in Thailand. How many of you guys remember that story back in 2018? Yeah, a few of us do. In fact, this is the soccer team right here. They were called the Wild Boars. So they had just played a scrimmage. And afterwards, they decided to go and explore these caves, these labyrinths, that literally was like their backyard. And so as they're doing that, the monsoon rains came early in Thailand. So monsoon, it's like these wild rains that kind of come, and they just flood the area. What happened was these kids, about 13 of them, were trapped in this cave system underground. Now, people knew where they were, but they just didn't know how to get to them and how to, how to find them. And so literally for two weeks, there, is, there are searches that are happening until finally they find the boys, and this is kind of the state they're in. They've been in the dark for two weeks, no lights. Uh, they have had no food for two weeks. Uh, they literally were going in just for like a day trip, and so they have no supplies. They're hungry, they're tired, they're afraid, they're not sure what's going on. And maybe when you were watching that back in 2018 when it first came up, it was pretty like harrowing, right? It's like it was really gripping, just kind of watching all that happen. And in fact, you know, there are lots of details that we didn't know back then. In fact, there's a documentary that National Geographic just put out. It's called The Rescue. It's all about how these Thai kids were actually brought out of the cave. And it's really an incredible documentary. In fact, I wanted to give you a little bit of a flavor of it by just showing you this quick trailer from the rescue. Check this out. Breaking news right now out of Thailand. Rescue teams are working through the night to save 12 boys and their coach trapped inside a cave. The monsoon had come early. The conditions in the cave were impossible. There was a very strong feeling that the children couldn't be still alive. We need expert cave divers out here. The Thai Navy SEALs put everything they had into it, but only this group of people who do it as a weekend hobby has those skills. I was thinking this, this has actually got our name all over it. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face trying to wriggle through holes that I couldn't wriggle through, finding a bigger space, sliding through, and then repeating again and again. How, how many of you? 13. We look into each other's faces thinking we may be the only ones that ever see them. Finding the boys was the easy part. They didn't have a clue how to get those kids out. We didn't think it was possible to dive the children out. We came up with the actual logistical plan. I told him, that's a horrible idea. And then Rick said, what if it's the only idea? We were brutally honest. We promised multiple fatalities. It's about controlling your emotions and your fear. Panic is death in the cave. My mind was on overdrive. Oh my God, am I gonna be good enough? If they die, it's gonna tear me apart. If you don't dive, everyone will die. 
I told the guys, this is a one-way trip. Once you start, you cannot stop. Believe. Believe. Pretty thrilling, huh? If you're looking for a movie to watch during Christmas, I encourage you to watch The Rescue. <laughs> but you know, I remember watching this and thinking in the moment, is this going to end in deliverance or devastation? Because literally there, there were so many different factors that were happening there. In fact, if you watch this documentary, there's all these things that we didn't even know back then about air quality not being so good, more rain coming to literally wash away any hope. And when you think about these kids that are in this cave, it, it's kind of terrifying. How are they going to get out? How are they going to find an escape? You know, as I was like looking at that or watching that, it kind of reminded me of something someone said to me a couple years ago. They said, you know, Nathan, everyone in life is going to go through some kind of cave experience. Meaning this, there's going to be a moment in your life where you're going to be struggling in the dark. You're going to be struggling in a cave. You're going to be trapped. You're not going to be able to know how to get out of it. For instance, maybe your cave is that you got a health diagnosis. That is one that you're like, oh, I don't know if there's any hope beyond it. Maybe it's a relationship that you were hoping was going to end in marriage, but it literally it fell apart, and now you're not sure what to do next. You don't know what the next steps are. Or it could be grief and loss. You know, this is the time of year that's supposed to be merry and bright, but for many people it's a time of year that's heavy, it's full of sadness, it's full of, uh, of just feeling just lost. Again, just darkness all around, no, no certainty, not knowing what to do next. Or maybe it's just simply this experience of just feeling lost, not really sure where your place is in the world and, and what you're supposed to do because of that. You know, whatever it is, whatever cave you're in, if you start to dig through it, if you start to go deep, deep enough into it, what you find is our caves and our darkness all lead to this one place, this one source where this darkness comes from. It's what the Bible calls sin. If you really kind of dig into where evil comes from, if you look into whether it's natural disasters or the choices people make to hurt other people, the bottom, the, if you get to the bottom of it, it's all about sin. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Nathan, it's Christmas time. I want to light a candle. I want to sing Silent Night. I don't want to hear about sin. It's like, come on. And, and I get that, and, and we'll definitely do that. But, but stay with me for a second here. Because if sin is the source of darkness that's in our world today, don't we want to know how to escape it? Don't, don't we want to know how to get out of there? You see, the Bible says that sin is simply defined as this. It's missing the mark. It's actually an archery term. So I know some of you guys, you do, you know, bow hunting or rifle hunting, and if you're practicing on a target, and if you miss the target, that's what a sin would be. You missed it. Or you're in your tree stand, and you see that perfect buck that's coming, and you, and you, and you aim, and you shoot, and you miss it. Ah, sin. In the same way, God has a standard for how we're supposed to live our lives, of who we're supposed to be. And because we're finite human beings, we miss that standard all the time. We fall short constantly. And we all know what that's like, because we all have standards for our own lives, and we fall short of those standards as well. But what happens is when we fall short of God's standard for what it means to be a human being and, and what it means to live, it creates this gap, this gap between you and God, but also a gap between you and other people. And this is a gap that we cannot overcome on our own. We can't be good enough, smart enough, moral enough, cool enough, whatever it is. 
we can't overcome that gap. There is this gap that separates us from God and really separates us from what it means to be human. And it causes a spiritual blindness. You know, if you're in a cave long enough, you actually start to lose your sight because you don't need it. And that's what happens to us spiritually. We begin to lose our sight. Look what Paul, one of the early church leaders, says about this. He says this. He says, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news that are those who are living in spiritual darkness. He says, they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, what sin does is it creates this spiritual darkness. It, it erodes our spiritual optic nerves. We can't see who God is. We can't see what he's doing in our lives. We can't understand how he's at work in the world around us. And all we can see is darkness here, there, and everywhere. And here's the thing. We can't get ourselves out of that cave. We can't dig ourselves out. We can't work our way out. We need a rescue. I'm sure those 13 Thai boys were, were thinking of all sorts of ways that they could try to get out of that cave. Maybe they could swim and hold their breath long enough to, to go underneath, underwater, under, where, where, all that, um, where all the water had covered the, the cave pathways. And maybe they're coming up with ideas, but the truth is they couldn't save themselves. So when they were finally found, this international coalition of folks came together so they could save these 13 boys. This is a story that really touched the entire world. Maybe you guys remember that. In fact, let me share with you some of these statistics. The rescue effort involved 10,000 people, 100 divers, Scores of rescue workers, representatives from 100 government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police copters, 7 ambulances, and 700 diving cylinders, and they were pumping more than a billion gallons of water from the caves because they were going to do whatever it took to save these kids, whatever they needed to do to get them out. And, you know, there's a spiritual connection to this. Because when God saw that you and I were stuck in this cave of sin and darkness, he, said, he marshaled the entire resources of heaven to come to our rescue. He did everything he could. And the biggest thing that he could, the most important thing, the priority that he did was he actually sent his son Jesus. In fact, if we want to know what the greatest rescue plan in all of history was, it was Jesus. Jesus is God's rescue plan. God sent Jesus to come because you can't get out of the cave yourself. He came and he dwelled in our cave. He dwelled in our darkness, in the land of sin, in the land of death. But he was sinless. He did not make mistakes. He loved us where we were. And he said, I will bring you out of this darkness and into my glorious light if you follow me. The way I would think about it is, is that this, is that Jesus is our cave dweller. He came into our world. And he was also our cave Deliverer. In fact, what he says here is in this verse, he says, I have come as light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain. Let's all say this together, church. In the dark. See, God's heart is to come into the cave that you're in. It could be the cave of your depression. It could be the cave of your fear. It could be the cave of your anxiety. It could be the cave of just separation from him so that he can bring you out into his glorious light, into relationship with him. That's his desire. That's his heart for all of us. Not that we follow religion, but come into relationship with him. Now, I remember when I was in high school, I, I grew up in the church. Like, I was in, if the, if the doors of the church were open, I was there. That's just how it was. And so I was pretty over church, and I was at some point where I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this. Like, you know, I don't want to do the rules anymore. I don't want to, you know, all, do all the things. I just want to make my life about me. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what's going to feel good to me. Um, and so I tried to fill this void I had 
with friendships, with experiences, with relationships, with busyness, but none of them ever really made things better. I still felt empty. I still felt shallow. I still felt disconnected from the world. And it wasn't until I realized that Jesus actually stepped into my world, into my cave. He, he stepped into my, my struggles with anxiety and my struggles with depression. He stepped into that world and he said, I will be the light that leads you out. All you have to do is follow me. You know, when those divers found those Thai boys in the caves, you guys saw this in the trailer, what they said was, believe. Believe. Guys, you got to believe that we're going to get you out of here. You got to believe that even though things look hopeless, that there are men and women working around the clock tirelessly to get you out. They're, they're trying to drill from the surface in. They're trying to figure out how to, how to get, get help to you. You have to believe. You have to trust, even if you can't really see your way out of this on your own. And when you watch the documentary, I mean, it's, it's pretty thrilling. They found out that the, the boys' air was actually running out. They were running out of oxygen in that cave. There was a huge storm coming, which not only would have cut them off completely, like the divers would not have been able to get to them, but they would have, been, they would have perished. They would have been lost. And, and in fact, at one point, they even lost one of the, Navy, one of the Thai Navy SEALs trying to rescue the boys. And they came up with a plan, and it was a crazy plan. And they said, this is the only way we can get these boys out of here. There's no other way. We're going to have to sedate them, put diving equipment on them, and then walk each one out, like literally swim each one out through these caverns, through these caves that were tight, that, that they couldn't have gotten out on their own. And there's good news. This crazy plan eventually worked. All 13 of these boys were able to escape from the caves and find hope and find a way home. You know, when I think about how this connects spiritually, there really is only one way out of our caves, and that's through Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross enabled us to have forgiveness. It wiped away uh, our, our guilt and our shame. It gave us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Jesus says, I'm going to forgive your mistakes, wipe the slate clean, and rescue you out of darkness and show you your purpose give you meaning, give you hope. This world does not have to be this dark place, but I can be the light that leads you into this glorious light. I can heal your spiritual blindness and open your eyes to see the truth, to see the reality of how things are. And following Jesus, letting him rescue you, it, it really is a simple process. It's as simple as ABC. A means to admit that you're a sinner. Now, I know some of us are like, oh, I don't know if I like the term sinner doesn't mean that you're a morally bad person. It just means that you missed the mark, that there's a gap between you and God that you can't, you can't bridge. Only he can by coming to you. It's just admitting where you're at. And then it's B, it's believe. Believe in Christ. Only he can save you. When you say believe in Jesus, it means I'm going to put my trust in him. I, I'm going to trust him with my life. And if I say I'm going to trust him, that means that I'm going to commit to follow his ways. My ways keep me stuck in the cave. But Jesus' ways get me out. Jesus' ways show me how to be a true human being, how I can love my neighbor, how I can keep my eyes on things that are eternal, that will last forever. And finally, it's to do it today. It's to do it today. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online right now and you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe one day you said a prayer, but you haven't really been following Jesus. You're not really sure 
how this all looks and what you're supposed to do. But what if this Christmas, I mean, you're going to be with family and friends soon, and you're going to have gifts all around you, but what if this Christmas you received a gift of eternal significance? Right now, Jesus has a gift for you. That's eternal life, a life of freedom, a life of hope, a life of healing, a life of restoration. What if today you, re you receive that gift, you open that gift up, and you receive that unto yourself, and you begin following Jesus? Because here's the thing, the gift that Jesus offers you, if you decide, you know what, Jesus, I'm good, in some ways it's a rejection of that gift. What you're saying is, Jesus, I'll, I'll bear my own guilt. I'll bear my own shame. I'll face my problems by myself. I'm good, Jesus. Rather than inviting Jesus to come into the cave with you, to come into the darkness with you, to heal your spiritual blindness and help you see the world in 3D technicolor. That's what he wants to bring you into. And the only way we could do that is by saying, Jesus, I need help. Will you rescue me? Will you save me from this place? Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you came as a baby in fragility, in vulnerability, into this broken world, in what Thomas Merton calls this demented manger of a world, this demented inn of a world. But you came to bring light and hope and reconciliation. God, we thank you for that. Maybe you're here today and you feel like it's your time to say yes to Jesus, to begin to following him. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want to lead you into a prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's simply just acknowledging what is happening in your heart and giving words to it. And I just want to invite you to repeat these words after me. Again, there's nothing magical about them, but if you want to begin following Jesus, or maybe you want to rededicate and start following him again, just pray these words with me. In fact, why don't we pray these pr this prayer together, all of us, repeat these words so that no one feels left out. You ready? Lord Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. This Christmas, would you come be my savior? Would you rescue me from darkness? Lead me out of the cave. I commit to follow you every day of my life. You are my God. You are my friend. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just want to say welcome to the family of faith. And one of the first things we get to do is actually reenact what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. If you have a candle here, in a moment we're going to sing Silent Night. And it's a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world. He lights up the darkness. When we can't see, we can trust. And he's with us. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come down. And from the Christ candle, see, Jesus gave his life for us. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that he is the light within us. And so as we encounter people at work and at school and uh, at the park, we can actually bring that light to others. We can actually be the light in a broken, fallen world. And that's the joy that we get to join with Jesus in. So as we sing this song together, Silent Night, let us also remember that we are called to be the light of the world. Would you please stand as we sing together?
Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.